Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, back again here today on the number one value investing podcast in the world. See you next to my co-founder, Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if this is the first time that you are tuning in with us, be sure to check out all of our work. We blog about ideas at focuscompounding.com. Use the podcast promo code, which is the word podcast, and that will save $10 a month indefinitely as long as you do stay a member. Also, if you like free stuff, join our email list on the homepage, the Gannon Gazette. The famous Gannon Gazette, where you will get one free idea every single time that we do send an email. Um, and we are looking to do that probably every couple of weeks. So be sure to join that Gazette. Um, if you like free stuff, we provide a lot of free content. Be sure to subscribe and thumbs up our videos on YouTube. That is Focus Compounding on YouTube. Uh, we're doing a lot of interactive stuff, which a lot of people seem to like. Uh, so be sure to follow all of our work um, and uh, you know check out our YouTube. So in today's video, we are going to be doing our Snap Judgments podcast. This is an interactive video. Pretty much all of them are going to be interactive going forward. Uh, so head over to YouTube if you want to see what we're looking at. And the first company we are going to be looking at is Gainsco. This company, uh, their HQ is about, I think, a mile away from where I live. I was driving one day and I've heard Jeff talk about this company and I looked up and I saw a big building that had a big sign that said Gainsco on it. And mm -hmm. I snapped a picture of Jeff or, and sent it to Jeff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's in our neck of the woods. But Gainsco, Gainsco operates as a property and casualty insurance holding company. The company offers non-standard personal auto products, including coverage for third-party liability, bodily injury, and physical damage. Um, it's an insurance company. Uh, the ticker is G-A-N-S. This is an overlooked stock. Market cap, $155 million. Currently trading for about 20 times earnings. Um, and then we could look at uh, the 10-year CAGR in revenue. It's been about 5% per year. But this is actually going back to 2009. So did they go dark? They're a dark stock. Okay. Yeah. So they're not actually a dark stock. Um, so they're a little complicated. So they don't file with the SEC. However, insurance companies are regulated okay. at the state level. So this is similar to like if you have a dark bank. So if you have a bank that doesn't file with the SEC, it's still regulated by the FDIC. Okay. Uh, and by others too. But um, so it, it will still file like call reports and stuff, right? So um, Gainsco actually files, uh, if I remember right, they file statutory uh reports. So I don't remember if there's a lot of detail on a gap basis. So generally accepted accounting principles of yeah. like their uh, combined ratio and things like that. But they certainly do have plenty of reporting of the normal ways you'd see it for an insurer reporting that. And insurers normally on the 10K and stuff will include statutory and gap stuff too. There's slight differences between them. So uh, it basically there's a very a very basic sort of 10K that they have, and you can find it on the company's website. As they say, it's on their website. Should we take a it look at it? It is on their website, yeah. You can find it. Yeah, let, let's go. So um, I know the company a little bit. Uh, where they talked about there, the key word that they said was non-standard, yep. which is sort of the equivalent of uh, what subprime is to lending. Non-standard is to a car insurance. Non-standard meaning high risk, basically high risk drivers. Okay. Um, I believe this company, from what I remember about it, is, so there you go, statutory quarterly. Yeah. So um, I believe this company 
is focused especially on providing minimum uh, state requirements. So different states have requirements primarily about liability. Uh, it varies a lot by state. There's states around here in the south that have pretty low um, requirements. And so you would just need coverage to make sure uh, of like um, bodily injury to the other driver and things like that. It could be pretty low, the requirements. So as opposed to like comprehensive coverage or something, which is going to cover you for anything that happens to your car um, and uh, basically will be enough that you could replace the car if it's totaled or something. This is more tends to be, uh, I'm sure it's not the only thing they offer, uh, like the state minimum requirements. Mm -hmm. So these people are getting it mainly because they, they need to legally. If I remember also from the website and some things I looked at, I believe they must have a large Spanish speaking um, customer base, not exclusively, but I think that's right because- What I gave you that impression? Uh, some of the reviews and some of the employees both and a lot of things about that they speak can speak Spanish. Okay. Um, just like there was more of that than you would normally have from an insurer. Mm -hmm. And that would make sense in the kind of states they're in. They're in Texas and a few other states in the South that have large Spanish-speaking populations and that might um, be more interested in the minimum coverage stuff. What was appealing to you about this company when you first looked at it? So the Was it the fact that it was an overlooked stock and an insurance company? I mean, yeah, what is it? Yeah, so it actually has good results now. If you look at the quick FS stuff, um, that's from 10 years ago or something, it had much worse results because it actually uh, changed its business quite a bit since then. So uh, the results more recently have been a lot better, the combined ratio. Um, so they have had some underwriting profit sometimes. There are some things that concern me a little bit about it. Okay. Um, their investment portfolio, I would say, is a little risky for a... It's kind of a little riskier than you might expect for an insurer like this. So they're taking a substantial amount of underwriting risk because they're doing like non-standard and things like that. Um, now, they might have very, very low coverage amounts and things, but still... Um, they have a lot of bonds that are kind of borderline investment grade corporate bonds and stuff, which is, um, I don't know, it, it, it's just struck me as a little bit higher risk than what some insurers do, taking a little more investment risk than they might. Like, say, a progressive or something takes very little investment risk. Mm -hmm. This company has a bit of investment risk, and it's not like the combined ratio is so low that it's not that close to 100. One thing that was really, really interesting, though, is that despite this stock being extremely illiquid and the company not filing with the SEC, it buys back quite a lot of stock, like a some of the m biggest stock buybacks I've seen from a company that has such poor uh, liquidity. Really? So normally companies with very, very low liquidity try not to buy back their stock. Because they don't want to move right? the market and stuff, They don't right? want to move the market. It's hard to get enough shares, and you drive down the price of your stock over time because you dry up more and more liquidity by taking it out of the hands of, of the people that are there by reducing the flow. Generally, mm -hmm. the lower your float, the lower your stock price is going to be. Um, but they don't seem to have a problem with doing that. So it's a very interesting company. Uh, I don't. I haven't done scuttlebutt on it, things like that, to figure out more about it. I did um, think that their reviews looked kind of coached. So they have a huge number of reviews, and I thought probably they must have something where they tell people like an incentive. Yeah, <laughs> basically when they become a customer, can you please go and review us? And stuff. Yeah, they have an abnormally high amount of reviews, and a lot of them sound the same. So I'm not sure that it's reliable in terms of understanding whether customers are really satisfied and things like that. Was that just like on like a Google reviews or like a? Uh, it might be you know I mean, type you could, of thing you like could that. Check like Google reviews or something. But I know that some places like that they had extremely high numbers of reviews too high for an insurer like really that. yeah interesting definitely. so something was going on there i don't know interesting um is this a company you think you'd revisit in the near yes. future 
Got it. Got it. Got it's it. in our wheelhouse for uh-huh. the kind of things that we buy in the fund. Sure. Alrighty. Next stock that we are going to be going over, Douglas Dynamics, ticker PLOW. It's a $1.1 billion company. It operates as a manufacturer and upfitter of commercial work, truck attachments, and equipment primarily in the in North America. It operates in two segments, work truck attachments and work truck solutions. Uh, currently trading about 23 times earnings, uh, 10-year median margins, gross profit 33%, 10-year median margins of EBIT 16%, 10-year CAGR of revenue um, 11.3% going from $174 million in 2009 to $524 million in 2018. Um, free cash flow, 10-year CAGR, about 9%. Uh, EV to free cash flow, it's trading about 30 times. And EV to sales is about 2.5 times. Um, so we'd want that EBIT number, median margin, to be probably closer to 25%. Um, thoughts on the business? Uh, what's the company's ticker? Uh, P-L-O-W. Right. So this company makes snowplows. Um, I the- know this company a little bit because when I worked somewhere... Um, there was an article about this company. Um, I sort of edited some stuff and things at that place. And um, when this company was kind of, I don't know if it officially was going public or what from a public, uh, from a private equity thing, it was exit private equity was exiting basically or partially exiting Uh and taking it back public. um, There was a big article written up, about it and I sort of edited that article and stuff so I have some familiarity with it from way back then we're talking like um, you know whatever that is six or seven years ago Mm -hmm. Um, there's some interesting things about it Uh, at that time so I don't know what the situation is right now if we could see it definitely used more leverage in the sense of instead of paying down um, its debt it would pay out a dividend all the time pay to a lot of his earnings out in dividends. Uh And then the other thing that's interesting about it is the behavior of the stock price. The stock price seemed really um, too responsive to weather stuff. Interesting. And I could see why, though, right? Yeah, right. So obviously there's some states where it barely matters, but then the rest of the country, um, you have uh, it being determined a lot by weather, how how bad the winters are, how much snow you're going to get. And so you could obviously predict it based on things that are happening, what the company's earnings might be like and stuff like that. Be like you're like a natural gas guy just checking like the the weather reports and stuff like that, you know, the patterns. So it just struck me as too responsive to it. Sort of like people were trading it in ways that didn't necessarily make sense in terms of the actual effects that would have on the earnings. And of course, one year's earnings doesn't affect what next year's weather is going to be like. Yeah. So uh, I, I would look at it that way. And if you do see it respond to weather stuff, that would be interesting. Should we talk about global warming and be controversial? <laughs> <laughs> um, so but that's a good example. So like, for instance, global warming, right? Yeah. No one knows whether this would increase or decrease their sorts of sales. And that's the kind of thing that I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it could cause there to be um, less cold weather in some places, but it could also cause there to be more cold weather. Sure. So it can do both things. Um, I think that it's, it, I wasn't that interested in the stock um, because I felt that it wasn't cheap and has rarely been cheap. Now, we don't have a bunch of data going back to show how cheap it is on a valuation thing on this page, but uh, as you can see now, it's definitely not very cheap. Yeah. Right? What mm-hmm. is it? Two and a half times EV to sales yeah. and the average EBIT margin. That's very normal sort of price. I mean, that's fine, but um, 
it's not a cheap price for a business that has fairly typical returns on equity, fairly typical margins, things like that. So what's funny is, so I'm from Illinois, mm -hmm. and I'm sure just like New Jersey, when it snows, they throw down salt. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Texas, and every now and then, it does actually snow in Dallas. We had one snow yeah. uh, fall this year, and typically what happens, though, is that the sun comes out and it just all melts, mm -hmm. um, or just really doesn't stick, or whatever. But a couple years ago, I remember there was actually a lot of snow that like stuck to the ground, and of course, everything shuts down for the week. Nobody yeah knows how to drive in the snow you know everyone's like a huge hoarding situation you go to the grocery store and everything's just gone um but what's interesting is they throw sand down in mm -hmm. dallas and the sand doesn't like i guess uh i don't know like disintegrate i mean whatever you want to call right. it, like salt does so then in the summertime then you'll just see sand everywhere on the streets in dallas mm -hmm. you know it's the weirdest thing ever but now it's uh so that was kind of weird for me when i when i first moved here but i know in dallas there's like i don't know 10, there's not a lot of trucks here and understandably so, no. yeah. <laughs> but they do have them a couple handful. Yeah. The other thing I think too, if I remember is that what tends to happen is people want it for seasonal purposes. Yeah. So a, someone who's using the truck for using their own truck, uh, for other things like landscaping or something during part of the other year, they could be an emergency vehicle, landscaping, mm -hmm. things like that. will switch to using it as a plow during the winter. So that's sure. the other issue that you'd be landscaping and stuff throughout the winter in, in Dallas. Mm -hmm. So it also makes it less attractive for them that way. It's pretty, if I remember right, it's like two-thirds of the states or something are really all the business if you look at it. Sure. Like a third of the states I mean, look where it's headquartered, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> it snows a lot there. Interesting. Cool. Um, let me switch back to that. All righty. Next company we're going to be looking over, the Buckle Inc. Okay. It's a company we've talked about. I don't think we've ever actually looked at it. Okay. Uh, this probably shows up on every... Mouth this on every podcast. <laughs> we've, we've showed, this has shown up on every single screen. I think you could run. Mm -hmm. It's on Magical Formula. It's been on there for years. Uh, the Buckle Inc. operates as a retailer of casual apparel, footwear, and accessories for young men and women in the United States. Um, I think a lot of people listening are probably familiar with it, especially our crowd. 10-year median margins on gross profit, 44%. 10-year median margins on EBIT, 22%. 10-year median margins on free cash flow, 12%. 10-year CAGR of revenue, 1.1%, going from $898 million in 2010 to $885 million in 2019. That makes sense to me. And from thinking like through the past, like these mm -hmm. 2010 to you know, uh, 2013, 14. I mean, I could see that that's when this was kind of a fad. I felt like I, okay. a lot of people were wearing these and are their clothing. The clothing is very expensive, by the way. It's like a pair of jeans is like 150 bucks or something just insane. And I think they discount less. So there's some information here which suggests that. So what's interesting about it is it would have severe fashion risk. But normally what you see with companies that have major fashion risk is that they have years that they did severe discounting to clear out their inventory and stuff. Here they have pretty high gross margins and very consistent returns on capital yep. for something that's barely growing at all. So normally this is not what you see with a um, like a, a clothing retailer that's very fashion oriented, right? So like a teen retailer would be an example of that. There's some other ones like that. Um, but uh, what you normally will see is that growth will be great for a while and then as soon as growth stops, you'll also have huge deterioration in profitability. Mm -hmm. What doesn't happen is what happens with like restaurants or something sometimes where they stop growing, but their uh, returns on capital and stuff stay very similar. Here we have much more stable returns on capital, much more stable margins than I'm used to seeing with this kind of thing when there's like no growth. Because if you look over the last 10 years, the growth has been really, really low. Mm -hmm. And that's just not normal. Look how stable these, yeah, the gross yeah. margins are. So they're obviously doing some things very differently. Uh -huh. Yeah. What's interesting too, what's this buckle private label credit card? What do you think about that when retailers do that? 
Uh, so a lot of places do that. Yeah. I mean, the most famous one probably is, uh, I would say, Old Navy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, yeah. With Gap, yeah. Which was going to spin off and then decide not to spin off. Um, uh, they make a lot of money off of those mm-hmm. things a lot of times. And it was founded in 1948. I wonder what it was in 1948. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how different it was because what happened, obviously, is that it expanded a lot from the middle of the country out. That's the other thing that's interesting about it. Like you're saying, people would be familiar with the buckle and stuff. Actually, where I was from in places like that, it came very, very late, obviously, on the coast and things. So it was an unusual company that way. So here you go. This is a situation, right? And we can look at this where... It probably screens well, right? And even from and looking at like from a high level overview, this looks like Mm -hmm. something that could be potentially interesting. Yeah. Why would we never be interested in this company though, right? EV to free cash flow, nine point six times, so it's ten percent free cash flow yield. Right. Um, it's not trading expensive. EV to sales is one point one. Ten year median margins on EBIT is. Uh, 22%, trading about uh, 12 times earnings. It's always kind of trade cheap. I remember looking at this company literally in like 2013, 2014, and it was Mm -hmm. always cheap. It has always shown up on every magical formula screen and everything. But why would we never be interested in this company? Well, this company is a retailer. So that's the number one. Sure. It is fashion oriented also. Yeah. There's also the issue that although we're seeing things like, and this isn't that bad for Buckle compared to other ones, but we're seeing things like their um, EV to EBIT on EV to EBIT. Those are a little misleading in terms of this margin of safety. If you're leasing all of your stores, you're actually not covering rent by that much. So I don't know the exact story here. We'd have to add it back and get EBITDA and things like that. Yeah. But it's very possible that you're only covering your uh, rent expense by like you know 50% or something. So that a 30 or so percent decline in your sales could possibly create that large of a decline that you'd actually be making like no money, mm-hmm. uh, which is very different than like a service business or something where it, a 50% decline would still leave you in sales would probably still leave you with quite a lot of profits. Um, as far as retailers go, this is interesting on a uh, statistical basis. I mean, it's very interesting. Definitely. It's held up very, very well in terms of profitability, um, astoundingly well. Like if you look at um, sorts of retailers that really ran into problems, so like um, uh, for fashion type reasons. So like look at the deterioration that happened to PacSun, that was a public company. Yeah. Or the deterioration that. that happened to the Abercrombie part of uh, Hollister and Abercrombie. Mm-hmm. Um the decline in the profitability as soon as there was a slowing of growth was like really extreme. Why is that? Uh, is it the operating leverage or? Well, that's the part that's interesting to me about this. I don't know. It's a fashion thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously there hasn't been the same deterioration for Buckle. The, the thing that's interesting is that this is a very hated stock, but it's had extremely poor growth, but not extremely poor profitability. I mean, look at some of the more recent years. How profitable has it continued to be on like, a um, so we have operating profit. Mm-hmm. So the last three or four years, what's the operating profit been like? Uh, it looks like so 2016 is around up 21 percent. 2017 16 percent. 2018 15 percent. 2019 14 percent. So it's been declining. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, just in terms of the actual millions of dollars. Oh, last three. 230 years. million dollars. 153 million. 134. 121. It's been declining. Yeah. Not by much. That's mm-hmm. very small decline. Well, I'm just surprised that this company is. I'm just surprised that it's even still doing $885 million in revenue. That's kind of shocking to me. I don't hear of people going to shop at Buckle like I did back in 2013, 2014. Right. And so there's obviously a mismatch. There's obviously a mismatch between the perception of the company and the reality. Yeah. Because this company is doing huge amounts of profit. So it's very interesting from that perspective. I mean, those are huge profit numbers. That's a very, very successful retail chain. 
it today is a very, very successful retail chain, obviously. Mm-hmm. And yet we're thinking of it as if it's... Um, Melting ice cube. Yeah. I mean, they're not making that... I mean, that's a... There aren't that many retailers that are making that much money. Uh, here we go. It was f- formerly known as Mills Clothing, Inc. Mm-hmm. And changed its name in 1991. Interesting. But, I mean, you remember that. I mean, don't you remember when people were wearing these... Their clothes no. a lot? You don't? Okay. Have you ever been in a buckle? It's, it's like stupid expensive. No, I wouldn't expensive. go into a buckle because they'll start talking to me. If I remember their... <laughs> oh, yeah, they're incentivized differently. Yeah. No, that, that stuff, is yeah. true. That is true. Yeah, no, I won't do that. Yeah. All the clothes... I mean, even the t-shirts, it's like very expensive. And the, the style of clothing, it's like... I know someone who will It's like it. jersey shore type. <laughs> I know someone who will only buy from buckle. Really? And to this day, will only buy from them. Really? Yeah, he will. Wow. And he spends more money on clothes than anyone else. Yeah, it's so. it's insanely expensive there. Yeah, so there obviously some people are very loyal to it. Yeah, interesting. Okay, next company we are going to be looking at our old okay. friend, NIC Inc. Mm-hmm. You wrote about this company back when we first launched Focus Compound on the website. Yeah, a long time ago. Um, and I see together with his subsidiaries provides digital growth services that enable governments to use technology to provide various services to businesses and service and citizens in the United States. So think of like Tyler Technologies, I right. guess, uh, kind of similar to Daily Journal, same concept in a way. Right. Um, uh, let's see. Currently, this is much more basic than we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. Market cap one point three billion. Um, valuation ratios currently trading 27 times earnings, EV to sales 3.1, 10-year median margins on EBIT, 21.5%, 10-year median margin on gross profit, 40%, um, pretty stable, I would say, gross profit, 10-year median returns for return on equity, 37%. I mean, this is obviously an incredibly capital-like business. Yeah. EV to free cash flow 17 times. Um, and we have a 10-year CAGR of revenue of about 10% going from $162 million in 2010 to $354 million in 2019. They did lose, was it Texas? Texas, yeah. Texas, so that was probably about three years ago. Texas was a their right largest up, yeah. customer. Yeah, right after, yeah. Presumably this would be the largest customer you um, could have, probably. Yeah, definitely. And um, it, it, uh, they lost their customer and it sold off, remember? I don't know if Cal- I don't know if the California outsources it, but other than California, I don't know who else could be bigger than Texas. Yeah. Um, so if you could just like highlight the earnings per share and read off the earnings per share, I think people can get a good idea of why the growth or the actual just the actual EPS. All right. So let me, let me let me highlight this. Okay. I need like a stylus. Okay. So going back to 2010, we have uh, 28 cents. 2011, 35 cents. 40 cents. 49 cents. 59 cents, 63 cents, 84 cents, 77 cents, 87 cents, 75 cents. Okay, so a few things. So one, you barely notice that they lost Texas. Yeah. So that's interesting um, because the company is so not cyclical. So if you have something like um, the P.E. ratio looking as high as it does, which is not a low P.E. ratio, that's very different if you tend to have EPS that's higher every year. Now, the last few years, they've had some problems, obviously, mm-hmm. compared to a long time ago. But it's not just a matter of they've grown EPS by like 10% or something over time. They've grown very consistently with very few major declines in EPS. Um, their free cash flow is also very high. If you compare free cash flow to EBIT and things like that, they're basically turning all of their earnings into free cash flow. They could buy back stock with it, do things like that. Um, so the basic business that they have is very simple, though, and that's kind of the part that concerns me a little bit about it. 
they win the state portal. So like the Connecticut.gov yep. or Texas.gov or whatever type thing. And then it's a place for you to pay all for all the things that you would need for that state. Now over time they win more and more of it and but it's things like they take a they take a percent of or a dollar amount of things like hunting licenses and fishing licenses and stuff. Now what they actually make a ton of money on is the driver history records. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they give it to other companies who basically resell it to insurers, like a um, LexisNexis and things like that that resell to insurers. So um, they're getting your, uh, so it's a way for a state to not have to pay up front, which is kind of what Daily Journal is trying to do with like uh, particular municipalities and stuff, right, for courts. So it's this model where you don't charge up front for it, and then you take a piece of the, um, the money that you would get, the state would normally get for things like records and things that they have, and even some things like driver history records, which isn't even charging your citizens something each time that they, you know, renew a license or something. So... Uh, it's very basic though compared to the kinds of things that I, from looking at the portals, very, very basic compared to the kinds of things that I think Tyler Technologies is doing and that Daily Journal is doing. Did Texas go to Tyler Technologies or Daily Journal? Tyler Technology, their headquarters is literally like not even five miles away from yeah, us. Yeah, Tyler Technologies is right down the road. Uh -huh. yeah. 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 I think very different. Tyler Technologies, I think, is very different. This company seems to be much more basic and um, for whatever reason, I think it's less. Uh, people are less interested in this one than in Daily Journal or uh, definitely Tyler Technologies. Yeah. Tyler Technologies is kind of a Well, and it's also a bigger company. Yeah. Much bigger. Trades, I think, yeah. have more of a And this premium. is basically serving states, whereas the other ones are basically not serving states. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have some things that are states, but they're basically different kinds of stuff. Do you know the ticker for Tyler? I think it's, uh, Tyler it's like T-Y-L. There we go. Let's see. Yes. <laughs> Look at that. 99 times earnings. I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, even the EV to free cash flow about 58 well, times EV to sales 12.4 that's yeah and 13 billion dollar company i mean the so, the whale in this yes, industry we definitely prefer uh nic to tie technology yeah. look at that 10-year kager though going from 290 million in 2009 to 935 in 2018 uh, i don't but also tyler, look at that assets though. i, I don't think tyler technologies there. actually increased their revenue all that much faster than uh, nic did look at that those that asset growth though yeah um no, if I had to pick one of them, I'd definitely be interested in IC. I'm not going to be writing up Tyler Technologies. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Last, I did write up uh, Daily Journal and Pass. You did. Yeah. You did. So if you want to get access to that, focuscompound.com. Use the podcast promo code. Take $10 off this, uh, the price indefinitely. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't speak today. Last uh, company we're going to be going over, Dave & Buster's Entertainment, ticker P-L-A-Y. Current market cap, $1.3 billion. Jeff loves Dave & Buster's. Um, uh, let's see. Owns and operates entertainment and dining venues for adults and families. Pretty sure everybody. I'm pretty sure everyone's familiar with it. Uh, Ten-year Kager. Well, they don't give it to us, but you could probably do it in your head. Going from 521 million in 2010 to 1.2 billion in 2019. Currently trading 13 times earnings. Ten-year median margins on gross profit 59 percent. Ten-year median margins on EBIT 9 percent. Ten-year median returns on return on equity 5 percent. Ten-year median returns on return on invested capital because I think they have that uh, 1.4 percent. Um. Uh, and the business is headquartered in uh, It is. In Dallas, Look how Walto has been, uh, the EPS. main event is, was written up on the site. Actually, the company, the Australian company that owns main event, main event is sort of a competitor of Dave & Buster's, yep. and its U.S. headquarters is, I think, in Plano or Dallas. Um, what are your thoughts on just the arcade business in general? I like it. I know. And I've talked about how you've always lot. said if you were to start your own business, mm -hmm. it was an arcade business. Yeah. So explain that. For the people. 
it, the economics are very good. Okay. So I like it. You have incredible gross profits. Uh, so basically, you play these arcade games and things, and uh, most people will not play in a way to try to maximize their uh, return. You know, on the games, they'll play a variety of games and things and not stick to one. Um, so their payoffs won't be that good that they'll get off of it. Um, and then they'll trade that in for um, things, uh, you know, stuffed animals. Hey, and, you pay fifty dollars uh, to buy like uh, five dollars worth of uh, and of Xboxes merchandise and whatever. Yeah. yeah. And um, on average, you'll make a lot from that. I don't know if what exactly the investors are, but it could be 70 or 80% gross profits for that part of the business. And then, right, you have more like 60% or whatever gross profits at a bar, or I don't know if theirs is less. I think Dave and Buster's prices, their, their alcohol a little lower as an incentive compared to like some other places I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, which makes sense because your gross profit's even better on the arcade part. So if your alcohol is encouraging arcade playing at all, then you want to price it that way. Um, so, and then they do food too, right? Which is a big yep. part of it. And that's and really originally what they started out with. And then they move more and more into the arcade stuff. I like it a lot. Um, the problem is that I feel that it's too, the economics are too good for a new store. Um, I feel they're too good for main event. They're too good for Dave and Buster's too good for all of them. I think there's a lot of space in malls to, um, they want you as a tenant to come in and, uh, they have incentives to get you in to get something like a Dave yep. and Buster's and they want much more than a retail store. And um, I think the year one returns that you get are really great. And so my concern is that this same store sales numbers aren't really going to be positive for any of these companies long term because they're going to oversaturate by opening too many close to each other. Yeah, I mean, we were talking to somebody lately that the economics he said for his was like, what, 2.5 million to 3 million to open up a, how big was it? I don't even know. 30,000 square feet. It was a pretty mm-hmm. big place. And he's thinking he'll do like 800,000 in EBITDA year one. Right. It's pretty, you know, attractive economics. That is, a, that is the not a chain that we're talking about, about yeah. the inventor Dave and Buster's that doesn't have any of the economies of scale that Dave and Buster's has and the relationships that they have and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So um, I think, yeah, I think the EBITDA returns, the, the payback period is too quick right now. And so you'll just have too many of these open next to each other. It'll be interesting to see, like it says watching live sports. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if how they play into like live betting and, and as gambling on sports and stuff like that becomes more uh, legal across the United States uh-huh. to see if they kind of jump into that uh that market yeah so it's not expensive um it's not super cheap but it's not expensive it doesn't seem to be that popular for various reasons i don't know why uh one could be that the food part of it because i know that's a rough part right now and just cheap generally restaurants and things and so dave and busters is more exposed to food than some of the others a lot of the others are like started as bowling alleys and shifted yeah. over dave and busters started more as a restaurant and shifted over got it cool well that is the last like which company would you be most inclined to do more research on uh, Gainsco. Gainsco. And why is that? It's most overlooked. Most overlooked stock. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Mr. Jeff and myself. If this is the first time that you are watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, check out all of our work. Best place to really get all of our content is probably through my Twitter, at Focused Compound. If you want to uh, read Jeff's write-ups, his research reports, uh, go to FocusedCompound.com and be sure to use the podcast promo code to get $10 off of the subscription price indefinitely, as long as you do stay a member. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and myself, and we will see you in the next podcast. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.